John Wall and Russell Westbrook, Houston versus the Wizards. Who wins that trade? I'm going to say it's us, the fans, because I think both guys, if they come into the season healthy and can remain so, are going to have great seasons. It's the NBA Cypher. Let's go. Is there a clear winner in the Russell Westbrook John Wall trade? Obviously, when you trade John Wall at this stage of his career at age 28, you're trying to trade him because he's got a bad contract. And with his injury history, you wonder if John Wall can return to form. I know why the Wizards wanted to move him. On the other side, Westbrook wanted out of Houston. Houston was looking for maybe a lottery pick. That wasn't going to happen for Russ, even though he's playing at a high level. Remember, Wall's 28, Westbrook's 32. But what I'll say is, at this stage in their careers, I would trust Russ's durability. Even with some of his nagging injury histories, I would trust Russ's durability over John Wall's. Now, as a fan, if you're asking me who won, I'm hoping both sides win. I'd like to see John Wall return to form. I want to see the John Wall that will give you 21 and nine, two steals a game, blazing quick, end to end, fastest player in the league. I want to see that guy. I want to see the very best version of John Wall. Whether James Harden stays or goes, I'm saying this. If James Harden is to be moved, it will not be anytime soon. Houston, if they're going to have to move him, they're smart. They're going to play the waiting game, which is what any smart GM would do. On the other hand, when you look at the pairing of Russell Westbrook with Bradley Beal, throw in Davis Pertan's ability to shoot the three, the young players that they're developing in Hachimura, also who they just drafted in the lottery. The Wizards right now or a legit playoff threat in the East. And, and I know people are going to go, it's the East. I hear you. I feel you. But I've always said the bottom of the East is much weaker than the top of the East when, when you're comparing the two conferences. When you look at the top of the East, outside of the Lakers, the top of the East can play with anybody in the West and beat anybody in the West. So don't sleep on the top of the Eastern Conference. But back to the trade. I think Russell Westbrook will push Bradley Bill. And I know in some ways, Bradley Bill might look at Russell Westbrook as John Wall again. Their skill sets are similar, even though they do it in a different way. There are similarities. Both get downhill. Both are at their best when they're coming at you, attacking you. Both are explosive in the open court. Both John Wall and Russell Westbrook are not shooters. For their careers, both shoot 43%. For their careers, both shoot in the low 30s from three-point range. Again, not shooters. They are at their best when they are attacking your defense, collapsing, and kicking out or getting to the rim. I do think in the long run, that Russell Westbrook is the kind of guy, whether you're a fan or not, 
he he has an ability to rally people around him. I think the Wizards, barring major, I always say this, barring major injury, and that applies to everyone. Health is one of those things you just can't foresee. But if they can stay healthy, the Wizards will make the playoffs. And I know people like, so they're only going to get like the eighth or seventh seed. I know. No, Russ is not going to win you a title, not with just him, Bradley Bill, and a couple of young players. But Russ will make you competitive. Russ will make you relevant. Guess what? The Washington Wizards, they're going to be in TV this year. They're going to be in TNT. They're going to be in ESPN. Take Russ out of the equation, and it's just Bradley Bill or the regular Wizards roster that they normally have. You're not watching that team on TV. Russ, even now, at age 32, is still box office because of the way he is so relentless. And I want to remind people, for all his flaws, before the pandemic, before the shutdown, he was having the most efficient season of his career. In year 12, he was shooting 47% from the floor, coming in 28-8-8. And then the pandemic hit, quad injury, he had COVID. He was just never the same. And you could see it throughout the playoffs in the bubble. So I'm not writing off Russell Westbrook or John Wall. I think in terms of immediate success and because of just how tough the top of the West is, the Wizards win this trade. And I, you know what? I don't think there's a loser. Let's just say both teams going to get something out of this. I just think the Wizards are going to get more. A lot of NBA fans were surprised when the fifth-seeded Miami Heat came out of the Eastern Conference and gave the Lakers a series in the finals. I, I'm included. I thought the Heat were a very good team, but I didn't see them getting past the second round. And they just proved me wrong. Jimmy Butler looked at times like a superstar. I'm not saying he's a superstar, but he had superstar moments, especially in the finals. There were three games in the finals where Jimmy Butler played like a superstar. And because of that, that that became a series. So what did they do in the offseason? You lose Jay Crowder. You lose his toughness, his three-point shooting. You lose the athleticism of Derrick Jones. But you keep Gordon Drogic. The dragon is coming back. You add Avery Bradley, Mo Harkless, both terrific wing defenders. Both are very good, solid three-point shooters. So you get toughness back. And you add those proven veterans along with Jimmy Butler, the dragon, Andre Iguodala. You keep that mix of those proven veterans to go with Bam Adebayo, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, Tyler Hero. Miami has a great blend of war-tested veterans. And now, now actually, they're younger players. They played in the finals. They went on that type of run and competed well in the finals. This team, to me, is poised to make another run. Now, do I think They'll come from the fifth seed again to come out of the conference. I don't. But do I think they could repeat as conference champions? I do. I think when you look at the East, at the top of the East, 
Boston, Miami, the Bucks, um, the Sixers, the Nets now. Remember, you're getting a healthy Kevin Durant, a healthy Kyrie Irving to go with the rest of that squad. You can book those five, first five slots off. Then you throw in the heat into that mix. That six playoff spots already gone. I like the Pacers. I think if they get a healthy Sabonis back, they can have a nice season. I just don't think they have enough overall firepower. And you don't know what version of Victor Oladipo you're going to get back. Are you going to get back the all-star that averaged 23 points a game, shot 36% from three, averaged over six assists a game? Are you going to get that guy back who was also a great wing defender? Or are you going to get back the guy who's been struggling trying to get beat people off the dribble, hasn't played as well on defense, his shot has gone south, or you're going to get a mixture of the two. I, I just don't know what version you're going to get. Look, as a fan, I hope he can return to form. Or at least if he can't be the all-star Oluwadipo, he can do what Derrick Rose did and make himself still an impact player, a guy who on certain nights can be special. I like what Miami has. You look at Pat Riley and the crew, and, and they've kept themselves still somewhat flexible, although I'll say the, the, the BAM contract, which I understand why you extend him. He's 22 years old, coming off a season where he averaged 16 and 10, five assists a game, over a block a game, over a steal a game, and he's still getting better. He's still ascending. I understand that. What I wonder is, for all the people who live in hypothetical lane, if you add Giannis to a Bam Adebayo, I don't really know how that works. They essentially play the same position. And while Bam does have a nice 12, 15-foot jump shot, he doesn't extend the floor. He doesn't shoot from three. If you have him and Giannis on the floor at the same time, you will have spacing issues to the fifth power. I really don't see how that works. And, and I know I can hear you saying, who wouldn't want that problem? You wouldn't want that problem when you're paying over $300 million between the two players. You don't want that problem because you want something that's not going to look good on paper, but it's actually going to work in a functional way on the floor. Their skill sets, their ability to play off of each other, that has to work. And I think that's easier said than done. But that's hypothetical land we're living in right now. Miami Heat will be in the hunt to come out of the East. When I look at the Celtics, yes, Gordon Hayward is gone, but you get back Tristan Thompson, who I think solid double-double guy, good low-post defender. He's an upgrade from Tice. You keep Tice. Daniel Tice was a really good player. Jeff Teague, I think Jeff Teague as a backup point guard at this stage of his career will give you good minutes. And you're returning your two dynamic your two dynamic wings. That's the most important thing. Tatum is going to be a year better. Brown will be a year better. Marcus Smart, even though it seems like he's been around forever, he's only 25 and he's Mr. Do Everything. Now, yes, Kemba is going to start the season um, on the bench because he's still having knee problems. That that's a thing. And I really don't know what his future is because he's 29 years old. And he's one of those guys that a lot of his game is really predicated 
on his ability to stop and start, his quickness. And if he can't do that, you saw at times, especially late in the later rounds in the playoffs, when they went against the Heat, he struggled. He just didn't have quite that burst, and he was a liability on defense. I think the Celtics, because of Brown and Tatum, are going to keep themselves in the hunt. They they have enough of a rotation, enough firepower. And look, don't sleep on Brad Stevens. He's a good coach. He's going to work some of the younger players into the rotation. They're going to get good minutes out of Tristan Thompson, Jeff Teague. The Celtics, they had a really good offseason. I know you're saying they lost Gordon Haywood, but that was one of those things where he was ready to move on, and I think they were ready to move on for him. So that's a win-win for both parties. You go further up the ladder when you're talking about the Eastern Conference and you look at the Philadelphia 76ers, you look at the Raptors. The Raptors' biggest thing they had to do, the one thing they had to do, is bring back Fred Van Fleet. And they did that. They resigned him. Yes, they lost Marcus Gasol. Even though Marcus Gasol isn't the player that he was in his prime, He's still a solid rotation player, still can impact both ends of the floor as a rotation player. I think the bigger loss is losing Serge Ibaka because it's not easy to, to replace 15 and 8, along with over a block a game. Plus, he can stretch the floor 38% from three. That's the bigger issue. They do have young talent. Siakam had another all-star season. He's still 25. OG Anubi, who hit big shot after big shot in the playoffs, he's 22. They have young talent. Don't forget, Norman Powell's only 26. He gave you 16 off the bench. I, I think that Chris Butcher is going to have a bigger role this offseason. I think OG Anubi is going to take a jump. He averaged over 10 a game last season. I'm looking for him, him to be somewhere between 15 and 18 points per game. Don't sleep on the old Wiley veteran. Kyle Lowry is just a pro. He's not Chris Paul, but his heart, his tenacity is on Chris Paul's level. All Kyle Lowry does is compete. I expect Kyle Lowry to come back and have another big season and lead those Raptors. Like I said, I like the top of the East. And because of what happened in the offseason, I think the bottom of the East got interesting. I want to see a lot of these teams play. But the one team I want to see play for sure, because I think I feel like we've been waiting for this forever, I want to see what the Nets look like. The best thing the Nets did in the offseason was they got healthy. KD had more time to get healthy. Kyrie got healthy. And, of course, they kept their shooter. They re-signed Joe Harris. They added a veteran like Jeff Green, who can play the four and small ball five. They're bringing back DeAndre Jordan, Jared Allen, Torian Prince, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dimwitty. The Brooklyn Nets have four guys that can take you off the dribble. They have four guys that can create their own shot. They have four guys that can facilitate for others. If I had a concern, and obviously, we want KD to be KD. We want him to be healthy. We hope that he can play the rest of his career injury-free. Same for Kyrie. Look, I, I want no one to have major injuries. But out of the four guys I just named, the one that 
capable of playing without the ball that's not really ball dominant is Kevin Durant. For all the things I said about what they can all do off the bounce, there's only one basketball. And Kyrie is as special a talent as there is in the NBA. But Dimwitty and he have similar skill sets. I'm not saying Dimwitty is as skilled as Kyrie Irving. I'm saying what they do is very similar. And then you have Levert, who's at his best when the ball's in his hand and he's in attack mode. Steve Nash is going to have to find a way to keep the ball moving and keep their bodies moving, to have flow, because this could easily turn into an ISO team, and you don't want that. Not when you look at the role players they have, some of the shooters they have. The Nets, if they can develop chemistry and people can settle into their natural roles, Kevin Durant's your best player. That's your guy. Kyrie can accept being a number two. And Dimwitty and Levert can fall into those third and fourth option roles. If they can do that, along with what you get from Jared Allen, along with what you get from DeAndre Jordan and the other players, the Brooklyn Nets are going to be in the conference finals. When you look at a team like the Sixers, the first thing you say is, Embiid and Simmons, can it work? Well, it's worked. They've gone to the playoffs. They've played in a, in a conference finals. They've had their heart broken by Kawhi. They've had success. They haven't had the ultimate success. And look, they're both not, to me, complete. Simmons can still ascend to be better. He doesn't have to be a great three-point shooter. If he just made himself a reliable mid-range shooter, it would open up not just his game, but open up things for his teammates as well. With Embiid, it's about his conditioning. It's about his commitment. If they can get, if Doc Rivers can get Embiid, to commit, to get into great condition and maintain that, and then Simmons become more aggressive offensively, along with Tobias Harris and the additions of Seth Curry and Danny Green. With Danny Green, you get a veteran-proven championship caliber 3 and D guy. No, Danny Green isn't Danny Green at his very best, but he's still a good player. He can still give you good minutes. Seth Curry can just shoot the lights out. The Sixers... Definitely needed shooting. They also added Terrence Ferguson, another wing defender. I like Matisse Thibault. They're a versatile team. What they lacked was shooting, and I think they addressed that. But what they need more than anything is that their two best players get on the same page. Ultimately, we're going to find out if Doc Rivers is as good as advertised. I think Doc Rivers is a very good coach, one of the top coaches in the NBA. I don't know if he's an all-time great basketball coach. He's got the one title, and that was over a decade ago. I'm going to judge you on what you recently did, and what he recently did, he was the head coach of arguably the, 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 the – there were two teams favored to meet, even though they were in the same conference, but they were considered if they met, whoever won was going to be the NBA champion. And the Clippers were right there with the Lakers, and the Clippers collapsed and never met the Lakers because they collapsed against the Denver Nuggets. Doc, you're the head coach of a team that blew a 3-1 lead? Yes, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Lou Williams, 
and all the rest of the crew, they're accountable for how they play. You're the head coach. You're also accountable for those results as well. I think the Milwaukee Bucks, if if you're judging their offseason on, they had to have a big offseason to make Giannis want to sign that extension. Although $220 million, they could have had an awful offseason. He might still very well sign that 220. But if Giannis is serious about championship is the most important thing to him, you ain't signing that contract, man. Drew Holiday is one of my favorite players. I think the addition of Drew Holiday will make them better. It won't make them good enough to win a title. He will make them better. He is just he's not barely better than Eric Bledsoe. He's much better than Eric Bledsoe. The problem is they don't have enough playmakers on that team. Giannis is not a guard. He's not a perimeter player. He's a center. And I know they they give him the ball at the free throw line and tell him to turn and attack, but that's attack against other centers. Because he can't shoot, you, you, you literally only have to load up and then the struggles begin. He has got to make himself an effective mid-range shooter. I'm not even talking about the three. You can attempt threes. I would say if you're going to shoot 30%, though, don't attempt five threes. Take about two. He needs to make himself more effective in the mid-range. And more importantly, because he gets to the foul line 10 times a game, you got to shoot better than 63, 63% from the free throw line. You're killing your team with those opportunities. He's got to get up to about 75% to where he can actually make the other team pay for fouling him. I'm a Giannis fan. I like the fact that the Bucks front office made the attempt to upgrade overall, but because something went wrong in the breakdown of the Bogdanovic con- contract, yes, you, sound, you sign a solid veteran like DJ Augustine. I like that. that, that that's a good signing. I also think that there's an opportunity for them to add more talent. Torrey Craig is a good wing defender. He's a versatile wing defender, so that's a good addition. Bryn Forbes is a very good underrated three-point shooter and a solid player. I don't think that's enough of a splash offseason for the Bucs. I would be shocked, and I know this is crazy when you're saying turn down $220 million, but I would, I really would be shocked if he signed that extension. I just don't think Milwaukee has done enough. If if I'm Giannis, he's 25 years old, and you're talking about winning titles. From what I'm seeing, they haven't done enough. They They need to step the game up, point blank, period. But the team, the one team in the Eastern Conference, the one team that had went to their war room, They had four guys that they were targeting that they wanted in free agency, and they got all four guys, the Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks signed Danilo Gallinari, signed Rajon Rondo, got Chris Dunn, one of the best on-ball defenders in the NBA, and they got Bogdan Bogdanovich, who is one of the best all-around players in the NBA in terms of what he can do, can shoot can create off his own, can create for others, can play multiple positions. He's an underrated player. He's an impact player. If you're Atlanta and you were able to get all four of these guys, which they did, 
And you're going to add these four players to a core, a young core, where John Collins and DeAndre Hunter are your old men, and they're both 22 years old. Trey Young's 21. Kevin Hoyter's 21. Cam Reddish is 20. You're going to add the guys I just mentioned to that young core. Anything but a trip to the playoffs is a complete and utter failure. The only question I have is when you get all those guys and all and you acquire all that talent, there's just one basketball. Trey Young's talented, but he's ball dominant. John Collins is a 20 and 10 guy. DeAndre Hunter averaged 12. Kevin Hoyter, if you've never seen the Hawks play, this guy can ball. And he's terrific in pick and roll situations. He averages over 12 points a game. Gallinari for his career is around 19 a game. Rondo can get you 10 to 12. And then you're bringing in Bogdanovich, so that's another 16 to 18. My point is, that's a lot of talent. And, and that's a good problem to have. They're going to find have to find a way to make it work. And somebody's going to sacrifice some numbers. But on paper, the Atlanta Hawks are loaded. Loaded. As much as I like the Miami Heat and the Celtics and the other perennial contenders in the East, I really do think the Atlanta Hawks offseason, outside of the Lakers, was the best in the entire NBA. And, and I'm putting it out there. If the Atlanta Hawks can stay healthy, no major injuries, the Atlanta Hawks are going to make the playoffs. I know, you can stop laughing, but I'm dead ass. The Atlanta Hawks is going to make the playoffs. One quick thought on the Hawks also. Don't forget, a move that they made during the regular season that they didn't really get dividends on, but they will this season is, they traded for Clinton Capella. That's a guy that gives you 14-14 and two blocks a game. Then they went out and drafted a Conway from USC. He's a younger, more athletic version of Clinton Capella. When I say they're loaded, they are loaded. Next week, we'll talk about the top reserves in the NBA and which young players I think are ready to make the leap from star to superstar. It's the Cypher. Next time. Oh, you know, man. Oh, you know, man. Oh, you know, man.